Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning and Merry Christmas season, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in. Another edition of Stand Up For The Truth. I hope you're maintaining your composure and your sanity and all the craziness, not only in the world today, but because of the, <laughs> the busyness of the Christmas season. But I hope you're not too busy. We, as Christians, must not be distracted and fall into the worldly traps, uh, secularism, materialism, and everything else. But that's for another time. Very important show today. Another uh, first-time guest. We're really excited to have her on. But let's open up in prayer before we do anything else. Father, uh, thank you first for another day. Thank you for waking us up. Thank you for, uh, for those of us, and uh, I've, hopefully it's most of us, had a nice warm home uh, to wake up in with um, heat and electricity and running water. And uh, we had food to eat this morning, Lord, and you woke us up. Most of us are, are relatively healthy. We thank you for that. Um, forgive us for taking life for granted so often, and uh, we want to count our blessings and just be thankful. We know that every good and perfect gift is from you, and we know that you never change. So in this shaky and changeable world, which is, seems to be changing all the time, and usually for the worse, not for the better, Father, increase our faith, and please help us uh, understand what's happening from a biblical perspective, from that Christian worldview. Help us to see the world through the lens of the Bible and really uh, have some insight so that we can speak truth, so w- that we can speak into these things whenever we're confronted with issues in our culture and our country. And Father, help us always speak the truth in love. Uh, we praise you, Lord. We thank you for this season. We thank you for what it means to us that we have a time every year that even there's a federal holiday that we, we get to celebrate the truth of a historical and world-changing event, the Incarnation, and we thank you for that. Uh, We lift up this hour to you. We thank you so much for allowing us to speak about things that really uh, need to be discussed, and uh, we love you, Lord, and we commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're talking about the importance of equipping and preparing Christian children. It's not as easy as you might think. The problem with lies is they don't often sound like lies. They seem harmless even sound right. It's unthinkable so many parents send their kids out in today's dark, godless, and hostile culture without proper preparation. And it's not just adults who need to be grounded in truth and be ready to make a defense of the gospel. We need to equip our kids for what they are bombarded with. Author J. Warner Wallace once said, Parents are the most important apologists our kids will ever know. Mama Bear Apologetics will help you navigate your kids' questions and prepare them to become committed Christ followers. Today's guest is Hillary Morgan Ferrer. She is the founder of Mama Bear. She's actually the Mama Bear-in-chief of Mama Bear Apologetics. She feels a burden for providing accessible apologetics resources for busy moms. If that's you, Keep listening. Hillary is the co-author and editor of Mama Bear Apologetics, a great book I've been going through. Um, Its subtitle is Empowering Your Kids to Challenge Cultural Lies. Now, Hillary has her master's degree in biology from Clemson University. Her specialties are in scientific apologetics, uh, critiques of the Darwinian mechanism, dealing with doubt, and identifying causes and solutions for youth leaving the church. She and her husband have been married for 12 years and minister together as an apologetics team in the local church. Hillary is also host of her own podcast at Mama Bear Apologetics. We'll put that link in today's podcast so you can connect with her. Um, She can never sneak up on anybody, and this is what I found interesting, (laughs) because of her chronic hiccups. And so we'll be listening for that today. Uh, you might hear that on our podcast today. Welcome to Stand Up for the Truth, Hillary Morgan Ferrer. 
Thank you so much for having me. All right. Well, thanks for taking the time with us, Hillary. I love uh, what I've been reading in your book, uh, Mama, Bear, uh, Mama Bear Apologetics. And let me tell you, when I opened up just the first, the opening cover, I saw Jay Warner Wallace, Sean McDonald endorsing the book, and you had me. <laughs> <laughs> and that was just a start. So first, before we get into the book, which I really encourage uh, Christian parents to get a copy of this, could you tell us a little bit about your background? Now, you, you, you have a California number I saw earlier, but you are in Iowa now. Give us just a little, little history on uh, where you came from. Well, before I was in Iowa, I was in Texas. So uh, people kind of called me the Texafornian because I was kind of half Texas, half Californian. So now <laughs> that I've moved up to Iowa, I'm having a bit of an identity crisis here. <laughs> Uh, so I, I've lived in several different places, mainly because I really value school. And uh, I have always loved school. I've loved going to school. I've, um, if people always said, if you know, you won the lottery, what would you do? I'm like, I'd go to school forever. Uh, <laughs> so um, it's just, yeah, I just like going places and learning things. And I like, I like plugging into new uh, kind of demographics that I haven't been familiar with in the past. And and just meeting people all, all over the country. So uh, in some senses, I had a little bit of a wanderlust, but it was really I was following the schools that I was going to. So you're in Iowa now. Are you think that you're going to be planted there for quite some time? or Because uh, I know you and your husband are involved in the ministry. Yes, uh, we have actually moved up here for a job. And so the job that we moved here for uh, was going very, very strong to the point of where the uh, guy was able to sell it. So he sold the business, and the ones that bought the business kept everybody on for a full, you know, two months <laughs> and then let everybody go. And then so we found ourselves homeowners in Iowa. So we've been making it, uh, making do with what we've got here. And my husband has been just so amazing to just do what he needs to do to provide for our family. And yeah, and I, I really enjoy it here. It's like a time warp to the 50s where people don't lock their doors and, you know, they go uh -huh. make brownies with grandma while <laughs> their dad's mowing the lawn. And, and it's, it really is, like, Pleasantville here. Yeah, that we can relate to that. We moved from California to the, to the Midwest, and uh, it's a very, very different uh, philosophy, mentality. Um, on the back of your book, I really like this. First of all, the hashtag... Roar like a mother. <laughs> I love that. Yes. Um, it, it's, I like the call to action, Hillary, on the back of your book, Mama Bear Apologetics. It says, are you ready to answer the rallying cry? Mess with my kids and I will demolish your arguments. Join the mama bears and raise your voice to protect your kids by teaching them how to think through and address the issues head on, yet with gentleness and respect. Now, I perceive several scriptures just in that call to action, but let's start with one of my favorites, and uh, I believe it's 2 Corinthians, that demolishing arguments. Would you share a little bit about that? Because that's, that's an important uh, part of apologetics, isn't it? It is, and that's actually kind of like uh, the mama bear verse. Like, you know, we, we made some T-shirts at one point in time, and that was the verse that we put on it. Because uh, everybody likes the First Peter three fifteen. That's like the apologist mantra. Right. Peter three uh, three fifteen. But I really like the Corinthians ten five, and um, and I, I just have to say a funny story about this. To this day, for some reason, I have a mental block on whether it's First Corinthians or Second Corinthians. Uh, and when I made those T-shirts, I remember putting one of them on there. I, I think it's Second Corinthians, but I think I accidentally put First Corinthians oh, no. on, and I just sat there and I thought. I really need to double check this. <laughs> and so I went to the verse, I think it's 1 Corinthians 10, 15, and it was like, and they wandered in the wilderness and died because God was displeased with them. <laughs> and I thought that would have been really dark to have on the t-shirt. So I'm glad I uh, listened to my gut and double checked that one. We're speaking uh, with... Yeah, demolishing arguments is what uh, the, the correct verse is yes. to say. And this idea of that we are not demolishing people, that we are demolishing ideas that are raised against the knowledge of God. And I think in our society what has happened is people have bought into the lie that say, uh, me and my ideas are one and the same. And so as apologists, when we're saying, no, we need to attack these ideas, how do we do this without the person themselves feeling like they're being attacked? Because that is not okay. Um, and it's just also this concept of them being captive to bad ideas, which is also another scriptural reference. 
of uh, don't be captivated by the empty philosophy. So we're, when we're dealing with people who are captive to bad ideas, how do we demolish those bad ideas? without demolishing the person. And you just quoted Colossians chapter 2, I believe 2 verse 2, 9, I think it, it is, about don't, so. yeah, don't be held captive by philosophy, worldly philosophies. Um, That verse, let's just read it and share so people know where we're coming from here. It is 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5. <laughs> We are just yeah, not first. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Powerful verse. Um, Hillary, first of all, about your book, there's a lot of books out, out on apologetics, some very good ones, and not not as many. I think that that are able to really equip kids, and I really absolutely love the fact that you've got uh, discussion questions after each chapter. That is so helpful. So parents are going to thank you for that. But what's the main difference between this book, Mama Bear Apologetics, and other apologetics books for parents? Uh, well, when Harvest House first approached us about this book, I knew I wanted to create something that wasn't already written. So going through like, you know, kind of basic questions or basic uh, apologetic techniques, looking at evidential stuff. I knew I, I have friends in the industry that I'm like, if I want to recommend a book like that, I recommend theirs. If I if I want to recommend a book on uh, different questions, specific questions for kids, I would recommend something from Natasha Crane. Uh, if someone really wanted to understand uh, from a layperson's perspective, uh, things like the evidence for the resurrection or the chain of custody for the old, uh, for the New Testament documents, I would point them directly towards Jim Wallace's book, Cold Case Christianity. So I wanted to make sure I wasn't writing something that had been written already. Um, and the thing that I saw that wasn't necessarily addressed as much is the fact that all these questions that are coming from kids, it's like we act like the questions step A, when really there's this whole thought process that's been going on underneath the question. And a lot of times the questions come from a misunderstanding of this foundational idea, foundations of where do we get truth, foundations mm -hmm. of how do we know something's true, what is original sin, stuff like that, where a lot of times it just goes unsaid. And instead, there's just this assumption that's almost absorbed through the skin. And from that from that um, absorbing of a bad idea, then these questions come. But you have to almost re give them a new foundation first of, of I mean, some of the heady philosophical stuff, you know, epistemology and stuff. No kid's going to say that. But you have to reprogram something that's already reprogrammed in them to say, no, this is, this is how the world works. And so what we did was we try to take the questions behind the questions uh, so, for example, there's so many kids who are leaving the faith because they say uh, science has disproved God. Well, they haven't even asked the question, is it possible for science to disprove God? Right. And what would disproving God look like and what constitutes science? And unless you understand what constitutes science and what are the tools that science can give us, you really can't talk about what it can do to theology. And that's a big misunderstanding. So that's what we did. We went a step back from where the questions were coming from, and we address the foundational issues that people aren't, they're, they're just uncritically absorbing them and not analyzing at all. So we said, no, let's analyze this, this first step back. Thank you. Thank you. And this is a phenomenal book. I can't recommend it highly enough. And what you described is what's been known as teaching kids what to think instead of teaching them how to think. And that's kind of the mm -hmm. essence of the government-run education system, and they're teaching them the ABC uh, curriculum, anything but Christ. And if there's no God, <laughs> you, you remove God and truth, then you've got evolution or something, maybe the Big Bang, maybe something, but it certainly wasn't any supernatural event. It was just something that happened out of nothing, and then you know, kids grow up thinking, well, I guess that's true because that's what my science teacher or my School is teaching me, but you reminded me also, chapter 9 in your book, you're wrong to tell me that I'm wrong. I love the <laughs> title. And one of the discussion points um, in there, it says, um, recognize the message, and it says, what is true for you may not be true for me. The word true has been hijacked. People still, yes. you say, people still want truth. They just don't want to define it as truth. What if it's true? Yeah. What, what? 
what if it's true for me that your statement is not true? Whose truth wins? So, Hillary, that's that's a very common argument about my truth. It's, this is how I feel. So this is true for me. What's one of the easiest ways that, that young people can understand that and break that down? Because it, it seems very confusing. Uh, just the statement, true for me, or is that what you're asking? Yes, yes. How can... Yeah, I, the, the, well, I, I think we lost this battle when we started talking about things like subjective truth versus objective truth. I really think that we need to, to have... I really think that truth needs to have no modifiers in front of it. It just <laughs> needs to be truth, and then we need to call other things other things. Because the, the one example that my husband did give me that I was like, okay, I could see how that could be a, a subjective truth was if he said, I'm hot. Nobody else can tell if that's true. I'm saying nothing about if the room is hot. I'm just saying I'm hot, and that is a true statement. Um, a lot of the other examples of subjective truth, people put in terms of preference, like saying uh, the turtle ice cream or uh, – Turtle Sundays are the best Sundays in the world. That's just a preference. Let's not call that subjective truth, because once you get people to divide these two categories, that you could have something that's true for everybody and something that's not true for everybody, once you have those categories firmly, firmly in place, then you start getting all sorts of weird stuff like the, oh, my truth and your truth and his truth and the dog's truth. And um, that right there, I, I think, is just... I, yeah, it's just not helpful, but I think one of the ways you can deal with this with kids is, is you can show them how these truths will contradict each other. And can these two things be true at the same time? Or what, what is something that is true for all people at all times and all places? Mm-hmm. And we need to find that category because what's happening is that since there's so much things that are, quote, subjective truth, uh, it is taking over to where the idea of objective truth is is basically absorbed by that, that there is no such thing as objective truth anymore. And so, therefore, I can say that everything is subjective truth. Um, I think we need to firmly, firmly establish that objective truths do exist. And I know this is a really this, – it's a great example, but it's a really horrible one, it's a, depending on what age you kids are. <laughs> do you, what if there was a, theor- a theoretical society where torturing babies for fun – they considered a, a good Friday night. Could we condemn them as, as being wrong? There are, are most everybody that you will meet will say, yeah, no, that's just flat out wrong. Every now and then you'll meet someone who wants to hold on to their philosophy so badly mm-hmm. <laughs> that they'll, they'll squirm uh-huh. and they'll kind of look uncomfortable and they'll say, well, yeah, I guess if that's true for them. And I mean, at that point, you just have to shame them for saying, what, you think torturing for babies for fun can be okay? You are a sick person. Um, So it's like really just making sure that they have the correct categories to put things into and that those categories haven't disappeared. Um, I know you mentioned something earlier on. We don't really deal with this much in the book, but the concept of sex and gender. Mm-hmm. What has happened with this is we have gotten to, it used to be, you know, these two words used interchangeably, my opinion, is because they got tired of using the word sex around sixth graders. Yeah. Just, you know, giggle the whole time. So they just started saying gender. We have bought into this idea that sex and gender are two different things. And that is where we lost that battle. So right. again, uh, for truth, Really, really understand what is truth, where can we find it, how do we know it's true, let's define truth. Um, and once they kind of get that, you can find all sorts of stupid uh, things that are printed on necklaces and t-shirts at craft fairs that you can just make little humorous concepts, you know, like the ones that say, follow your heart, and you can just ask your child, what if my, what if my heart's telling me to go lay down in the middle of the street, should I do it? No, yeah. I shouldn't do it. Or the ones that say, you are enough. You know, you can look at your child and say, really? To lift that car up or to, to fix the vacuum cleaner that just broke? I'm enough? I, I did not know this. Oh, and my goodness. That means you're enough. So I'm going to go ahead and let you fix the vacuum cleaner. Um, these, these statements start to become nonsense when you actually apply them in the real world. And thank you. And we don't question these statements because they sound good they appeal to our emotions who would not think it's a good thing to follow their heart but what does the bible (laughs) teach about the human heart it's wicked it's evil beyond cure christ is the only cure for our hearts that can change our hearts and uh, but we want to follow our heart and we we are enough oh my gosh it sounds like this self-help 
nonsense that you're hearing mm-hmm. where you're supposed to repeat a bunch of things over and over to feel better about yourself, but then you're just elevating yeah. self. It's not even if it's not based in reality. Uh, we're speaking with Hillary Morgan Ferrer, and the book is called Mama Bear Apologetics. In a minute, we're going to take a break, but I want to just share before we do that with parents that are listening. This is a reason you need to get this book and empower your kids to challenge cultural lies. You cite on page 29 some surveys that were conducted by uh, Barna and others about self-proclaimed Christian teenagers, meaning, you know, teenagers that say they're Christian and they think they are maybe, uh, but we find out after what they believe that maybe uh, they got to define Christianity differently. But 41% of Christian teenagers, now self-proclaimed Christian teenagers, were uncertain whether Jesus was physically resurrected, 63% didn't believe Jesus to be the son of the one true God. This is astounding to me, Hillary. Uh, 33% believed that Jesus is not the only way to heaven. Of course, that's what, that's what the world teaches you. It's, he's one of many, many pathways. They all lead to the same place, right? Well, oh, yeah, of course. Uh, 60% are uncertain, unsettled, or, or confused about whether the Bible can be trusted. Oh, my goodness. And then 70%, 70 express persistent, measurable doubts that what the Bible says about Jesus is true. And here we're celebrating Christmas. Here's an opportunity for you as parents to speak into your children's lives about who Christ is and the truth. It's not just some fable or a a cartoon. This is actual biblical history that the Word became flesh. Before we take a break, I just want to get your, your thoughts on what we can do to refute some, not refute some of these, because this is just what teenagers believe, and Christian yeah. teenagers. And that's one of the reasons I know that you wanted to write this type of book, is it not? Oh, absolutely. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the book, Mama Bear Apologetics, from Hillary Morgan Ferrer on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Our guest today, the author of Mama Bear Apologetics and um, what, what's the hashtag again? Roar Like A Mother. It's Hillary Morgan. Right. Roar Like A Mother. Yeah, Hillary Morgan Ferrer. I just love that. Uh, in fact, that's going to be the title of today's podcast post, I think. Um, kids are being introduced to challenges uh, to their Christian faith at younger and younger ages, and that's why I think kids start doubting their faith earlier and earlier, because the secular world, the atheists and others, they're trying to, they know, they're trying to get to the kids, and then they try to get to them as young as possible. So, what can Christian parents do to combat this when they're, we're talking about such important issues as the existence of God, creating us, male and female. Uh, we're talking about so many important truth. So oh, I would just love for, love for you to speak just to that, that what can a mom and dad do? They know they've got to start earlier than they, than they ever wanted to, and one of those things they have to talk about, unfortunately, is this gender issue. Mm. Uh, well, I would say first, like when you're first starting to talk with your kids, uh, aside from aside from the gender issue, I think the first step is really teaching them how to do something that's called chew and spit. Did you catch up on or pick up on that in the book? No, I didn't get to that part. Chew and spit sounds like uh, you know a country western movie or something. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> the concept of chew and spit is this idea that we can divide the world. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sure that we can divide the world into safe and non-safe we're good versus dangerous and if we can just categorize something mm. <clears throat> correctly then we know how to we know if we can let our kid participate in it and it's just i'm sorry there's something in my throat that's okay <laughs> well well you, why don't you grab a drink of water hiller and i'm going to share another quote that's along these same okay. lines and this is good. from the book page 69 It says, when our society messes with the definition of truth, it is messing with our kids' very foundation of reality. And if children no longer feel comfortable using reality as their arbiter of truth, they will be insecure and timid about having any convictions whatsoever. So speak to those points. 
Yeah. So I think um, the the truth aspect is so important. But the thing that happens with truth is sometimes we can treat truth as we have the truth, they don't have the truth, and just leave it at that. It's this real black and white situation. Mm. Um, and I say the truth is on, on page 53, I say the truth is powerful. And like, like most potent lies, they are wrapped in partial, um, or most potent lies are wrapped in partial truths. So if we're going out there and we're expecting that it's going to be like an Easter egg hunt where you pick up, a, you know, an egg and you say, this is true. And then I pick up a, a pine cone. That's not true. You know, that's not an egg. This is an egg. This is true. That's not true. That's not really exactly the way it works. Most of the time they're going to mix together in some way. And this is the process that we talk about in chapter three called shoe and spit. Okay. You had where me. What happens? Yeah. You had me at that <laughs> quote. And I, I, I want to go back to that because I think it's very profound. The quote that you mm-hmm. shared from your book. Truth is powerful, and the most potent lies are wrapped in partial truths. Don't we see that? The enemy never comes at you just right in your face, usually, in a frontal attack. He'll plant a little seed like, did God really say, or is the Bible really true? I love that, Hillary. Please expound on that powerful statement and truth here that we're dealing with, these partial truths that sound good. Yeah. Well, a lot of times I'm saying like uh, there's no there's no Christian so good out there that you're not going to get heresy from them at some point. (laughs) And there is no atheist so bad that you're not going to get truth from them at some point. So if we're labeling people or if we're labeling movies or if we're labeling songs as all good or all bad or TV shows, all good or all bad. What happens one day when your kids are hoping when you're not around and they sneak and they see one of those shows that you've you've told them not to do, and all of a sudden they notice something good or something true, and they were told, this is all bad, you can't do this. All of a sudden they're saying, well, this isn't all bad, they've got this, this guy's loving his neighbor, this guy was kind to this person, this person helped someone, they were picking up litter, why did she say this is bad, either she doesn't know what she's talking about or she's a liar. Mm. And that's the conclusion that our kids come. And so when we make everything all safe or all dangerous and we don't teach them how to pick through to figure out which things are, you know, true, biblically sound and based on biblical principles and which things we need to reject, if we train them to know that these things will be kind of like a little check mix, all mixed together, Mm then we are not teaching them how to operate in the real world because they are going to rebel and then they won't be able to distinguish stuff. They will keep that mindset of it's either all good or all bad, but they'll just change which thing they think is good and kind of overlook. What people do is they take the good stuff of something and they overlook the bad. Yes. Uh, And the bad stuff, you know, that they disagree with, they'll think that's all bad and they will overlook the good in that. Wow. Uh, excellent point. We're speaking with Hillary Morgan Ferrer, and the book is called Mama Bear Apologetics, Empowering Your Kids to Challenge Cultural Lies. And um, I just love it. I'm just so thankful to have you on today, Hillary. I just want to ask you, just before we, I don't want to miss out on getting this question out before the end of the interview, what do you identify as the biggest lies within today's culture? What what is your perception of some of the biggest problems maybe that kids face or the biggest lies? Uh, let's see. There's two that kind of go together that I would say as a culture. And then there's one that I would say particularly is um, in the, uh, probably the college age and up. Okay. The biggest. Um, so the one that I think is for everyone would be postmodernism and emotionalism. Mm. And I just released an article with Christian Research Journal titled, If I if I Feel It, It's True. <laughs> <laughs> if I Feel It, It's True. <laughs> but yeah. that, you know what, uh, we laugh at that, but that's a, what a lot of people really, that's kind of like their philosophy today. Yeah. I mean, it used to be, you know, the good old Nike, if, you, if it feels good, do it. It's like we've gone beyond that. It's mm-hmm. not just do it. It's true. If I feel it, it's true. And not only do we see this happening in the secular realm, we see this being infiltrated into the church because people are starting to say the truthfulness of the Bible and the truthfulness of Jesus Christ is based on their feelings. So what do you think happens when they start having maybe a a time of serious depression? What do you think happens to their faith at that point? Hmm. Their their faith starts saying, I don't feel at peace. Yes, Peace was promised to me. This doesn't make me feel good. So either um, either it's, it's not true or God doesn't exist. 
uh, they'll never question if the fact that if they're just feeling bad and maybe, maybe Christianity isn't based on what we're feeling. Mm. If I were to base anything based on my feelings, I'd be all over the place. I'm, I, I have a tendency to change emotions quite regularly. So, but, but this is going, so that would be kind of in postmodernism is they've lost a way to determine what is true. And then in emotionalism, they know that truth, everybody has this intrinsic knowledge that truth exists. So they have to pick a different means of being able to back up their truth. And the way that they back up the truth now is by emotions. Uh, the stronger someone feels something, the true it is. That's why you have, uh, golly, I don't want to call anybody out here. You see it <laughs> on both sides. You, you see it, we'll say, like in the climate stuff. Uh, you can name names, protesters. especially on this show. Okay, you can name fine. names. <laughs> Greta Thunberg. Greta, just yeah. came up and gave an angry rant. Yes. And that, you know, that was truth. And I, I mean, you know, she's time person of the year now. Yeah. Uh, but you also see this in, in Christianity, where if you mm-hmm. try to ask people why they believe that, that Jesus is, is true, that he's the way, the truth, and the life, oh, I just feel it in my heart. And it's not that we're not supposed to use feelings as a means for, for recognizing truth, but we have to have our feelings disciplined by scripture, reason, and reality. Um, and so a lot of people maybe take just the good parts of the verses, like we're seeing this tragic, tragic situation from Bethel Church. Oh. This, uh, are you familiar with the Wake Up All of Pastor? Yes, and, and the, the uh, girl has been dead for now six days, and they're still praying and been worshiping and crying out to God to resurrect the little girl. Yeah, and what I've seen people say is, um, you know, that they're actually differentiating between belief and faith, where they're just they're they're trying to conjure up this belief because if if they can feel it, that's going to prove to God that uh, all this trust and all this faith that they have in Him, and it's not having faith. The object of their faith has switched from the eternal life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to now. God's goodness, God's will, and God's character are being held hostage by whether or not he chooses to perform this miracle. And that's a dangerous situation to find ourselves in. Oh, it sure is. I'm, Hillary, that's a way to deconstruct someone's faith real fast. Yes, yes. I mean, it's not unlike uh, being told that you can have your best life now, and God always wants to heal you and ha- make you happy, and that you can be healthy and wealthy, and then someone loses yeah. a job or has a has a— a diagnosis of cancer, and then they think it's all a lie. But I want to go back to something you shared. Uh, it's actually uh, page 102 about postmodernism. You broke it down very well here, the pre-modern, modern, and postmodern. The source of knowledge in postmodernism is observation and experimentation. And the ultimate truth in postmodernism is there's really no way to know for sure. But now mm-hmm. there's another category of beyond postmodernism that— uh, it, it's experience is a source of knowledge, and it's yep. and the ultimate truth is based on the strength of emotion and personal conviction. That's on page 102, so uh, thank you for putting that little graph or chart in there clearly. Uh, we're speaking with Hillary Morgan Ferrer of Mama Bear Apologetics. That's the title of the book, and I want to, before I get to this next question on uh, in, children's intake, media, and influences— Um, I just want to quote what uh, you guys shared with me. Many young adults cite skepticism as their cause for leaving Christianity, but their doubt should come as no surprise. Secular worldviews are spread like airborne viruses, targeting children from the classroom, from the media, and from the mouths of their peers. I just think about the hours of influence during the week that Christian kids are with someone else other than their parents, and they're out of the home. But these lies arrive not only as statements, but also as entire ideologies that reject biblical truth and advance the lies of the enemy. So the question for you, Hillary, is how should Christian parents be monitoring monitoring and limiting their children's media intake? Oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. That's one of those ones where, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we could take an hour or two. Used, oh, my God. Yeah. And I, I just think about, you know, when I was a kid, what would happen when I got in trouble? You know, I would either have to go to my room where I had nothing in there or I would maybe get a small spanking. It wasn't a bad spanking. Mom would cool down and come back and talk to me rationally and I get a spanking. Now, a spanking. the way that we discipline is getting the iPad taken away. That is the worst 
thing that they can possibly imagine. <laughs> having the phone taken away, having the iPad taken away, having television privileges. We are taking away your Wi-Fi code. And um, there is a documentary that I want to encourage everybody to see that's called Screenagers. Screenagers. Where it, screenagers, it's like teenagers, but with a screen. And it's not just talking about what is happening ideologically to um, our kids as they're in ta- as they're taking in all this screen time. It's actually talking about what's physiologically happening to their brain. It is Ooh. physiologically changing their brain. Mm-hmm. And like you know, ideas aside, if you don't have a functioning brain, you're not going to have good ideas, and you're just not going to develop at the normal level. So I think. Some of the craziness that we see with kids, you know, I've, I've seen all these memes of like kids that, you know, from 1944 that are off to battle and then they, you know, fast forward, you know, up to now and it's they're all sitting around protesting something um, <clears throat> or what they were capable of doing from times past. There is a literal physical change that's going on in our kids' brains because of screen. So for that reason alone, I think we need to be limiting screen intake. But secondly... Mm-hmm. On an ideological level, if you have a kid like me, which I just I talk about this in uh, chapter one, I was a question asker. I still am. My husband jokes about any time something is said that someone's not sure about the answer, it's like a race to see if my dad or me will get our phones out first to try to look up, <laughs> you know, research the, the answer to this question. If I had had that at my fingertips, I cannot even tell you how messed up I would have, I, I, I could have been. Wow. Um, and it's like we wouldn't let our kids, let's say just something simple, trick-or-treating. We are not going to take them to some random uh, neighborhood who we know nobody and just be like, have fun, kids, go around and get candy. That's essentially what we're doing. We have opened up. It is the World Wide Web, people, the World Wide Web. The kinds of people that are out there on the World Wide Web, and I kid you not, this is an actual thing. There are people in the porn industry who get the curriculums from schools in the nearby areas to find out what kids will be researching during certain times of year. And then they create porn websites with the titles that look like it's going to be giving them information on their, I don't know, 1776, uh, you know, government project or something like that. And it takes them to a porn site. If you think that you can just kind of turn them loose then you know, Oh, we'll just get, even if you, it's something you think is safe, oh, we'll just get Disney TV. Well, on Disney TV, you have stuff like Guru Goofy teaching the basics of meditation or this TV show that one of my um, my podcast co-hosts, it was a Valentine's special, and there's this special love note that they're waiting to see who's this love note going to be given, and it turns out it's from a girl to a girl. Oh. And she just happened to be watching the show with her son. Her son turns and looks at her and goes, Mom, what just happened? Did he? Did he just give that to a girl, or did she just give that to a girl? Yes. And it's like, okay, I guess we're having the talk here. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and then the, the 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 conversation usually eventually talks about what is love and what is sex, because mm. the lie you hear is love is love. Well, yeah. I, the Bible says God is love, and but we know what the left means, or secular progressives, or those in the LGBTQ, when they say love is love, they mean stay out of my business, let me express my emotion or my, quote, love to or with whoever I want, and however many people I want, it doesn't matter what sex they are or what gender they are, let me express that, and so love is love. And so to this day, Hillary, the church is at a hard time refuting that or at least battling that talking point how would you respond to that one one of your how many kids do you have by the way (laughs) we should have talked about this beforehand um i actually don't have children okay okay well my wife and i got married late we weren't able to have kids either but i see the the problems my friends that have kids and younger and younger ages they're having these conversations come up and it's usually not at home it's usually at school, or it's usually via social media. And so what advice do you or uh, the other mama bears at Mama Bear Apologetics give to uh, moms and dads who have their kids come home and say, well, why can't I love who I want to love? Yeah. I think first off, uh, the chapter chapter four is called Linguistic Theft, and it's uh, basically along the lines of there are biblical-sounding words that are being taken, redefined, and then pushed back on our kids. So let's let's just take the obvious one, love right now. Um, 
love has gotten so many different definitions. To love used to mean it was a real basic definition of to, to will the good of another. Um, but then you have also the definitions maybe di- from the different Greek versions of love. You have eros, you have that romantic love. You have phileo, which is the friendship love, agape, the unconditional love of God, and the, oh golly, I always forget the fourth one. There's another one um, that I think it's like familial love and affection. Yes. And uh, this is something that I'm seeing with kids where they're only giving one definition of love, and it's always the Eros definition. Mm-hmm. So yes. I have girls uh, that, that I that I work with or a friend of mine works with as well who is getting confused because she's having really strong feelings for one of her friends. And the girl's like 11 years old. She She doesn't. She, she doesn't understand sexual attraction. She just knows. I mean, there's a certain age. I don't know if you remember this. It's developmentally normal to have to go through a period of time and an age where you have one friend that is like that friend is your entire world hmm. that you are just stuck together at the hip. And this is actually a healthy developmental stage. Um, but now they're being told that when you have these feelings like this, this means you want to be married to them or you want right. to um you know, that you want to have sex with them or you want to kiss them or you want to do whatever. And they don't know how to distinguish between these things. Um, the same thing with the, with love is now that means we have to affirm everybody's ideas. And if you don't affirm their ideas, then you're being unloving. So if a child says, well, I think the Bible teaches about one man and one woman in marriage, someone says, you bigot, you are so unloving. <laughs> you see the Look at all the damages that come from someone saying that, the, 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 the suicides, the, the heartache that come from people. Why are you being so unloving? Your God said to love. And mm-hmm. the kid starts going, oh, yeah, I guess she's right. God did say love. Mm-hmm. Because they have different definitions of love now. Yes. That's really confusing for kids. And there's that uh, God did say love, one, love your neighbor as yourself. They are defining, making their own definition of how of de- of how to love and you know they're yeah. saying there, here's the truth god said love your neighbor um hillary i i don't want to put you on the spot but i am Could, we have to take a break can you spend a few more minutes with us yes sir. Okay, okay good i hope i was hoping you didn't need to be anywhere uh, in the next uh, 10 minutes because we'll take a break come back there's just a couple other things i want to ask such a good book it's mama bear apologetics our guest is hillary morgan ferrer and more with her when we come back on stand up for the truth Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Mama Bear Apologetics is the book, empowering your kids to challenge cultural lies and uh, also hashtag roar like a mother. Uh, we're talking with Hillary Morgan Ferrer. A couple more minutes left before we have to wrap it up, but I, I there's so many quotes from the book I wanted to get to and have you elaborate on, but one is this. From what I was taught growing up, Satan's original sin was his prideful desire to be like God. The sin of our modern culture, especially among those who profess hostility toward God, is not that they want to be like God or even think they are as good as God. Rather, the going narrative is they are better than God, more compassionate, more loving. God is openly debased as a war criminal or a moral monster, Our current temptation isn't to raise ourselves to his level. It is to lower him below ours and look down in scorn. That's Hillary Morgan Ferrer, page 126-127 in Mama Bear Apologetics. Now, a lot of people look at the Old Testament and have that sentiment. Hillary, I'd love for you to expound on that. I thought that was a really great quote. Yeah, there's a lot of wacky things that go on in the Old Testament, so I will be the first to acknowledge that. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, one of the things that I uh, I have had to learn through a lot of study is um, what God was doing with some of those things in terms of exercising His judgment against societies that were just horrific. Like, if we were to say right now, okay, we've got this whole group called ISIS, and that is over somewhere, and they're currently beheading people, would anybody feel bad if someone came and just basically, okay, we got all the ISIS in one room together, and oops, we dropped a bomb on that. Like, if it, this is people going out and beheading people yeah. and, and burning churches and doing all these things and raping women, yeah, wipe them we're out. not going to feel that bad no. about 
saying sayonara. So a lot of the misconceptions for the Old Testament is people didn't understand how corrupt these societies were. Mm. Um, one of the, the, you see it mostly in their God worship, where their main God, have you, okay, here's a question for you. Have you ever wondered why the word whoring is used so much in the Old Testament? The word what? Uh, like, whoring. They go whoring after other gods. Whoring. I'm not sure what translation that would be. Uh, I'm not, I, it, might, it might be the ESV. I think Maybe. that's the one that we have. I remember there was one chapter my husband and I were reading, and we're like, how many times is he going to use the word whoring? Whoring. Like, I like played he, the prostitute or played the harlot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, prostitute, harlot, all that. Uh, it might be Hosea that it's in there like a thousand times. Well, <laughs> come to find out, now I realize why he uses that phrase. It's because the way the gods were served back then was literal prostitution. Mm. That, uh, to worship, I'm sure you had, you know, we have a hard time getting men to go to church here. I'm sure they were all like, well, going to church, honey. Because um, you just go and you would have relations with the temple prostitute. And wow. uh, hopefully in y'all getting busy, it makes the gods think, oh, we should get busy and we should create rain and make the ground more fertile. Um, but what do you think is going to happen with all the, these extra babies? Mm-hmm. Well, well, that's where Molech comes Yes. From, is the way that you now appease the gods is you sacrifice your children to Molech. You place them on this fire uh, the stone thing whose hands are out, put them on the fire, and then you have a bunch of people around them banging drums so that you can't hear the cries of the child. And this is what they considered the best of their society, the most pious, the most worshipful people in their society. Wow. Um, if this is the best of society, you've got to wonder if this is a society worth preserving. And we also see uh, just, you know, with like Sodom and Gomorrah, and we see this, I think, in one of the other Canaanite cities, that you have visitors come that are men, and the guys literally go and try to bang down the door, saying, let the, man's, the, the men that came in there that are staying with you, let them out so we can have our way with them. Right. Um, if you have an entire city where they think that this is acceptable behavior, is this a society that we want to... Uh, this isn't a, you know, oh, poor guys, they were just trying to, you know, sow their crops and have their families, and then God came and wiped them out. There was a reason why God waited, because I think there's also a, a verse where it talks about why, oh Lord, why have you waited so long, I think, when Israel was in slavery, and it's because he was waiting for um, the sins of the, the, the areas that he was going to judge to come to fulfillment. It's like they hadn't gotten as bad as they could possibly get. He was waiting till <laughs> it was really justified wow. to take them out. And we just have this, this dreamy idea of they're just, you know, going about doing business as usual. No, these were depraved mm-hmm. societies. What, what you're just explaining is context. We rip it out of context because of God doing something, some act of judgment toward people that were rebellious and they were going around whoring, <laughs> and we look at that and go, oh, you know, we, we don't go into the context of why. We just say, oh, how could God wipe out people? How could God, you know, so I understand that. So now in our current, you know, society, we're looking down at God as a moral monster. We, it's, it's a baseless argument if you don't know context, just what you've really uh, so eloquently explained right there. So I Thank you for that. Um, just got a minute left. We're with Hillary Morgan Ferrer, author of Mama Bear Apologetics. And uh, you say one more quote I've got to read from page 187. <laughs> In a society where multiple religious beliefs coexist, secularism colored with tolerance leads to the false dichotomy that either, one, all religions are equally valid, or two, no religion should be discussed. And that's powerful. Thank you, Hillary. Both of those are lies because all religions are not equally valid. And that's not saying that the people are not created equal in in God's eyes or made in his image. That's just saying their their beliefs, their religions, some are cults, some are have nothing to do with truth, and most of them oppose Christianity. And then no religion should be discussed. That's where we're at in America today when Oh, you can't talk about Christianity or religion. But what do they do in the public schools? They promote Islam, Buddhism, Wicca. They, te- they have Harry Potter cu- curriculums. They teach atheism. They teach evolution. You bring in anything biblically based, like the gospel, you can't share that because of separation of church and state. So that was on page 187. I, I liked that you pointed that out. 
in, uh, in just that one quote, it says a lot. But we're running out of time, when, and God willing, let's have you back in, um, in a month or so. Um, Hillary Morgan Ferrer, Mama Bear Apologetics. How can people get in touch with you if they have any questions or to find more about your book? Yeah, uh, so we have several places you can go. So first off, I like to tell people exactly how Mama's spelled because you would be surprised at how many different spellings I've gotten from Mama. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's M-A-M-A, Bear Apologetics. Mama. Uh, so first off, just spell Mama right. Yes, M-A-M-A. Um, yeah, so you can go to our website. We have a contact uh, form there. You can go to Facebook. We have a presence on Facebook where you can ask uh, questions. We uh, can get messages there. And I usually try to pay attention to anyone who responds on either um, on either Twitter or Instagram. So, like, I try to interact with people because I think that's, that's really the purpose of ministry is to interact with people. It, it's sort of a 21st century missionary where you're not necessarily interacting with the, the people in the town that you've moved to, but it's a real demographic. It's like an online demographic, and I do my best to really uh, personally interact with as many people as possible. Thank you, Hillary. And how often does your podcast come out? We are trying to make it to where it comes out twice a month. That would be a big step up from before. <laughs> so we're having to hire some um, other podcast help. We're having to get some other volunteers to help with uh, doing notes. And so I would just ask you to, um, we can we have a tax-deductible place that you can give to the ministry. There's also a Patreon supporting, uh, we have a Patreon page and a tax-deductible page that um, the more the more money that we could raise, the more I can start outsourcing some of the, the things to where we can get more content out. My goal right. is to get more and more content out, so minimum once a month aiming for twice a month this or twice a month this year. Great. And there's a lot of the podcasts people can go and listen to with different topics at Mama Bear Apologetics. Is it dot org or dot com? Dot com. Dot com. And it's M A M A. And uh, so learn how to roar like a mother. <laughs> Hillary Morgan Ferrer. Right. Merry Christmas. God bless you. Thanks for being with us on Standard for the Truth. Thank you so much for having me. All right, you're very welcome. When we come back we'll tell you about uh, next week on Standard for the Truth. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. Oh my goodness, sometimes, uh, actually most times, the hour goes by way too fast. Uh, Mama Bear Apologetics, I love it. Um, it's just such a good book. I highly encourage you to uh, check it out. Um, tomorrow, actually, it's not tomorrow. Enjoy. Sleep in tomorrow. Uh, Monday, uh, we're going to be talking about Christmas, the pros, the cons of celebrating. Should we celebrate? How should we celebrate? You know, I think we split hairs over way too many things, and let us not forget the reason for the season, and just one day at a time so that we can celebrate what Christ has done, and let's not make it about us or about presents or about gifts or obligation, or about the commercialism. That's, that annoys me, what happens on, what, what takes place nightly on primetime television with the commercials and all that. It really is, yeah, it must grieve God's heart. But we, true Christians, know why we celebrate Christmas. So that's our show on Monday, and then we'll take a few days off. And uh, next Friday, Pastor Landon Churchill of Freedom Fellowship, a Pastor's Perspective. Program. So we'll uh, have a couple shows next week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have an awesome weekend, and God bless you. Keep speaking the truth about things that matter. <laughs>